Before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about a vision for a blessed life for you and for your family and for your descendants in a way that we can line up our life with the will of God and how clear vision works together with hope, courage, and faith to be overcomers so that you and I can be overcomers. It's important that we don't just settle for a current condition and become complacent. We do need to ask the question, where are we now? It's important to take note of your current condition and your situation, but it's also important to understand where you're headed. What are you aiming for? The journey is important and so is the destination. And without chazon, that's a Hebrew word for vision, for insight from God or prophetic revelation, people will perish. They'll cast off restraint, or as one translation says, they'll let their hair down. And it's an idiom that means, um, what do you say yes to? What do you say no to? That's, that's what we need vision for in order to understand how to make good choices for what we give ourselves to and also what we stay away from. I want to start tonight with a reading from our Torah portion in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 13. And it says this, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you to teach you so that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess that you may fear the Lord your God. So here we have this emphasis that the Lord is teaching us the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord shields us from other fears. Don't forget this, that Moses is saying all of this at a time when he clearly knows that he himself is not crossing over into the promised land. He has prayed and he has heard from the Lord to stop focusing on his own situation. And now he's strong and he sees beyond himself. And God is using Moses to help other people move into their future. That's all background and context for helping us understand what we're reading today. And it goes on in the scriptures to fear the Lord, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I, the Lord, command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, so that your days may be prolonged. So this is a vision for the future. It's a vision for those who hear, for their family, for their grandchildren even. Multiple generations are in view. And it really is a lifelong vision. It's not short-term, it's long-term, but it equips us for short-term vision and action. It's important to keep this in mind. We need long-term vision in order to include our short-term vision in a way that's productive. Let's keep going, verse three. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. 
a land flowing with milk and honey. So there is a vision of good that is being promoted here. Moses and the Lord are speaking of that. And do you see the hope that's embedded in this so that it may be well with you? That's what I want. I want that for me and I want that for you. And I believe you want that too. It may go well with you so that you may multiply greatly as the Lord has promised you. And so here, hope will work together with courage. Courage and resolve will work together. And they all work together with faith and with a desire to be close to God. Now let's read verse four, which is one of the most important statements in all of the scriptures and one that is so familiar to Jewish people all over the world. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So this is central. Yeshua called this the greatest commandment, to listen and to love. It, it speaks of a relationship that is active and alive and very personal. So let's practice the Hebrew together. Uh, you can have this verse hidden in your heart. You can memorize it. And that way, when you need it, you can use it. And I, believe me, you will need to use it frequently. And so it says this in the Hebrew, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echan. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha v'chol levavcha u'v'chol nafshecha u'v'chol me'odecha. It's important to practice this and to get this deep inside of your heart. Verse six says, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Where do the words need to be? Inside our heart. Once they're in our hearts, we can use them for the benefit of other people, including our children and our grandchildren. But also once they're inside of our hearts, we can use them ourselves. And one of the ways we get things inside of our hearts is we learn them and we memorize them and we can recall them and recite them because we have them there. Then verse seven, which, which expands on what we're talking about. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So teach them diligently to your children. This is every parent's and grandparent's calling to teach them diligently. Not just for those who think of themselves as being teachers, but it's for all of us. It's part of parenting and it's part of grandparenting. And we teach them to our children, to our own children, but also the children of the community. And also beyond that, the children in any circle of influence that you may have. And then verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So we need to set up markers and reminders. We need routines. And notice this, these are external markers, but where is the most important place to put God's word? It's still the heart and the mind inside of us. And then verse 10 carries on and continues to expand and extend it. So it shall be 
when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. So these are details of the blessing, of the blessed life. And when we receive God's promises, it will be not just what we work for, but cities we didn't build and houses we didn't build and wells we didn't dig and vineyards and olive trees that we didn't plant. In fact, we are enjoying the work of others. And it's important to have that in mind so that we can contribute and leave a blessing for others to walk in. And then it goes on and it says, when you've eaten and you're full, then verse 12. This is a key verse that I want to focus on today. Then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And it says this in verse 12, be careful, beware, be careful to not forget. As I was studying this this week, I realized that this word beware or be careful is actually a powerful word. It's telling us that it takes special effort to remember all this. It takes intentional effort to remember what's described in the rest of verse 12. And honestly, there have been times when I remembered the first part. It says, be careful not to forget the Lord. And I would stop there with my attention and I would say, okay, I never want to forget the Lord. And I think you may have done this too, but take notice of this, that it's not just forgetting the Lord, it's forgetting all these details. I want to remind you of the three parts of verse 12. One part is the Lord. The second part, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then the third part, from the house of bondage or slavery. So we're to remember the Lord and we are to remember where we were and what we came out of and also who brought us out. So let's generalize this as a principle that can be useful for us because in this context, we are looking at something very specific and something very practical, but it's, it's precise. There are certain things about God we are supposed to remember, but we can take it even further. We can extend and expand this and use this to process other times in our life. So it tells us this, that we are to remember even our trauma. Don't forget the trauma, but, and there's an important fact here, but there is a reframing of our experience that is needed. Otherwise, we remember the trauma, but we forget the redemption. And without the redemption, we will be led into a life that is ruled by fear and discouragement. So here's how we reframe it. We not only remember the trauma, we were slaves in Egypt, we remember the Lord who brought us out of that place and that terrible condition. And this is useful for everyone who has been through trauma or betrayal or great loss 
or abuse, and it moves us from being a victim to being the redeemed of the Lord. So it's not just that we suffered and we had difficulty, but that God brought us through that and out of it. This helps us when we can say, we are the redeemed of the Lord, that God has redeemed us. There's a scripture that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those he has redeemed and gathered from the north, south, and east, and west. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's say so. I like to say it this way. It's so simple. The Lord has redeemed us, and we are the redeemed of the Lord. When, when we can just put it into simple words and say it out loud and say it internally, say it to ourselves and say it to others, it brings healing to us. And it's one of the benefits of reframing. It's such a practical and useful insight. Clear memory about our past combined with memory about what God has done for us. This is the insight. We combine them together. We remember the past, even the difficulties of the past. And we combine that with our memory of what God has done for us. And this kind of mem remembering, this kind of combination of remembering the past and remembering what God has done for us is distinctive about the Jewish people, but it's useful to everyone. And I believe it helps us remember not just the past in a redemptive way, but it helps us remember in such a way that we can realize that we have a future with God. What do you know about the redemption of God? You know this, you are evidence of the faithfulness of God to keep you and to keep a remnant. If you take it another step, you can go even further. Here's the other step, tell other people including your children. That's what verse 20 says. Let's read on. Someday your child will ask you, what's the meaning of the instructions, the laws, and the rulings which Adonai, our God, has laid down for you? And then you will tell your child, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and Adonai brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. So here we have the same three points that are rephrased. We were slaves in Egypt, slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. It's important to remember that and not just to strip away the history and the trauma, but to include that so that we are able to actually include the acts of redemption that God has done on our behalf. And this is our collective memory. It's the memory of the Jewish people. And it's the memory that we wanna pass on to our children and to our grandchildren. Passover and the Passover Seder is one of the times when we do that. Now let's connect this to Yeshua's teachings. It's no wonder 
I think that Yeshua said that the Shema and the Ve'ahavta are the most important command of all. I want to look at a few verses from Mark chapter 12 that speaks of this. Mark 12 verse 28. And then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that Yeshua had answered them well, asked Yeshua, which is the first commandment of all? That's the question. Think about it. I'm going to take a sip of my hot tea. Helps me keep going and helps my throat. So excuse me when I do that, but I really need that hot tea uh, in order to speak well late in the day. What is the first commandment of all? That's the question. Verse 29, Yeshua answered him, the first of all the commandments is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Ve'ahavta et Adonai Lehecha B'chol Levavcha U'v'chol Nafshecha U'v'chol Me'odecha Yeshua answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And then verse 31, he says, and the second like it is this. To me, that's very interesting because Yeshua is not repudiating the commandments. He is saying they have a great significance to us. And so for everyone who, who thinks Yeshua has zero commandments, let me tell you, we're just looking at number one and number two. There are others as well. But these are the top two. The second, like it, is this. Verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Yeshua comments, there is no other commandment that is greater than these. And so the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Verse 34, and when Yeshua saw that this scribe answered wisely, he said of him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That is a very positive response from Yeshua to a man who's expressing agreement with Yeshua and his teachings. And this is something I think that's often ignored or lost. Sometimes we just don't pay attention to how well connected Yeshua was with his own Jewish people and his own understanding and the understanding that many Jewish people had. It helps us grasp something about how alive the faith of the Jewish people was during the time of Yeshua. It wasn't dead legalism as some people want to portray it. There was something alive about that faith and people were looking for more and they were looking for Messiah. No wonder, because it was the time for Messiah to come. Some would miss it, but some, would not. 
Now, I want to connect this to the Haftor portion because this is Shabbat Nachmu, Shabbat of comfort or comforting, and it takes its name from the Haftor from Isaiah in the book of Isaiah, the prophetic book, Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 26, that speaks of comforting the Jewish people for their suffering. And it's the first of seven Haftarot of consolation that lead up to the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. It occurs on the Shabbat following Tisha B'Av, which was this past week. So I want to read to you and just make a few comments, but I want to allow the scriptures themselves to speak to you. And I pray that you will take these to heart. And I mean that to heart, that you will allow these scriptures to do their work, which is to comfort you so that you can be comforted and so that you also then can comfort other people. It says this, Isaiah 40, starting in verse 1. Comfort and keep comforting my people, says your God. Tell Jerusalem to take heart. Proclaim to her that she has completed her time of service, that her guilt has been paid off, and that she has received at the hand of Adonai double for all her sins. So this is, this is the opening of this most important passage that's being read in synagogues all over the world this Shabbat. The price has been paid in full or paid double. This helps us understand that because of our guilt, there is a price to pay. Here's the good news. It has been paid. The redemption that was needed, the ransom that had to be paid for our guilt, it has been paid. And who paid it? The Lord paid it. Verse three, a voice cries out, clear a road through the desert for the Lord, level a highway in the Arava for our God. Let every valley be filled in, every mountain and hill lowered and the bumpy places made level and the crags become a plain and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all humankind together will see it for the mouth of Adonai has spoken. And it goes on, verse six, a voice says, proclaim. And I answer, what should I proclaim? All humanity is merely grass, all its kindness, like wildflowers, the grass dries up, the flower fades. When a wind from Adonai blows on it. And surely the people are grass. The grass dries up, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Verse nine, you who bring good news to Zion, get yourself up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, cry out at the top of your voice. Don't be afraid to shout out loud. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here comes Adonai Elohim with power and his arm will rule for him. Look, his reward is with him and his recompense 
is before him. He is like a shepherd feeding his flock, gathering his lambs with his arm, carrying them against his chest, gently leading the mother sheep. Who has counted the handfuls of water in the sea, measured off the sky with a ruler, gauged how much dust there is on the earth, weighed the mountains on a scale or the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of Adonai? Who has been his counselor, instructing him? Whom did he consult to gain understanding? Who taught him how to judge, taught him what he needed to know, showed him how to discern? Verse 15, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They count like a grain of dust on the scales. The islands weigh as little as specks of dust. The Lebanon would not suffice for fuel or its animals be enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are like nothing. He regards them as less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? By what standard will you evaluate him? An image made by craftsmen, which a goldsmith overlays with gold, for which he then casts silver chains. A man too poor to afford an offering chooses a piece of wood that will rot and then seeks out a skilled artisan to prepare an image that won't fall over. Don't you know? Don't you hear? Haven't you been told from the start? Don't you understand how the earth is set up? He who sits above the circle of the earth, for whom its inhabitants appear like grasshoppers, he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing. The rulers of the earth to emptiness, scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely their stem taken root in the ground. When he blows on them, they dry up, and the whirlwind carries them off like straw. With whom then, says the Lord, will you compare me? With whom am I an equal, asked the Holy One. Turn your eyes to the heavens. See who created these. He brings out the army of them in sequence, summoning each one by name. Through his great might and his massive strength, not one of them is missing. Amen. These are the words that we read from the Haftarah. They are meant to comfort us and to remind us that our God is without any comparison. None is like him. Who is like you, O Lord, our God? There is none like you, O Lord, in the heavens or on the earth. Our God is an awesome God. He is the most high God. He's the merciful God. He's our creator, our redeemer, our comforter, our father. He is our, uh, the lover of our soul. And he is the one who knows us from the beginning and calls us by name. When he calls you, your heart will start resonating. You may not recognize that it's him calling, but when you start saying, he nani, here I am, you'll start recognizing who is the one calling you. When you start praying to the Lord and even daring to pray in the name of Yeshua, you will discover things about our God that the scriptures are telling you, and you will discover his love, his faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy are without comparison. 
I encourage you to turn your heart to the Lord during this time, receive his comfort, and to understand this, as you're comforted, you will be able to comfort others. As you start loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, you will be able to receive even more love. The love that you have will multiply. It will be good for you, for your family, for you, and for the generations that follow you. And you will be a blessing when you recognize that all blessing and all goodness comes to you from the Lord. Let's bless the Lord right now with a traditional Hebrew prayer. May not be familiar to you yet, but in time it will be. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hatov v'hametiv. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, the good one and the doer of good. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you, Lord, that your peace is available to us in the name of Yeshua, that we can live a blessed life when we turn our hearts to you, when we start listening to you and loving you with all that we have. Thank you, Lord, for that. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. In just a moment, we'll be closing with Aaron's blessing, but first, would you consider standing with us financially? If this live stream is a blessing to you, or if our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast is a blessing, or if our Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Sanctuary Services, or any of our ministries are a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry and standing with us. All the information can be found on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. So let's close with Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasemlecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you, guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine brightly on you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.